My name's Sarah and these are some of the Galak family and we are going to be sharing one of the parables that Jesus told. It's in Matthew 25. The parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, he gave two talents. And to another, he gave one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. <laughs> the man who had received five talents went off at once. He put his money to work and he gained five more. So also the man with two talents received, gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned to settle accounts with him. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See here to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will receive more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's the parable of the talents, and we're going to hear some more 
John helping us to understand that more, and it's found in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Well, that was uh, very well done, and I think I need to say there's no favouritism, right? there's no sibling rivalry, that's just for our benefit. Uh, but let's pray, we're going to look at this passage, uh, we'll pray again for God's help, so let's do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you teach us through your word, uh, you prepare us uh, for the eternity to come, and so that we, uh, as we come to this passage and this parable, help us to see how we must respond in response to what you've done for us and how we are to live now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would like all of you to imagine this. I would like you to imagine if your life was shrunk down into 17 verses, only 17 verses, only half the page of the Bible, how would you summarize your life? What would you include to highlight the life of yours, your life story? Perhaps you might highlight your achievements, your successes. You know, the time you came first at the kids' athletics, a great day, you might highlight that. The day you received your VCE results. Or the night you were at your graduation ceremony was a great joy, you might include that. Or the job you pursued throughout your whole life with all your might. They are the things, they might be the things you might include in your life story. And so you only have 17 verses. What would you include? How would you summarize your life? Well, what type of story would it be? Perhaps you see your life as an adventure story or an action story, an action movie. You know, from the bungee jumping to the white water rafting to the scuba diving to the caving. Or maybe you see your life more like a, a romance story. You know, a romance story, your, your life centers around relationships. From the time you remember you were desperate to date someone and to the time when you started to date, and the time when you went on from relationship, to the time you were married, you, 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 you describe your life, you see your life as a life happily ever after. A romantic story. Or perhaps it's just a mystery to you. Your life story is just a mystery. You have no idea what's happening in life, and you just let life happen to you. Well, whatever story your life might be, what we come to today is, in a sense, a parable that summarizes our lives from a different perspective. Not from our perspective, but from a different perspective. And all of our lives, of course, here we don't, we're all from different walks of life, with different responsibilities, with different experiences, with different opportunities. But this parable, in one sense, is our life story from God's perspective. Of course, without all the elements and details of our life, but it's an overarching summary of how God sees our life, how God sees how we live our lives. Now remember, this parable comes in the context of what we've been looking at so far over the last few weeks. Remember, the return of Jesus is imminent. He's coming back soon. Judgment Day is near. The world now, it is in a mess, but all that mess will end when Jesus returns. And so how are we to live in light of that end? You see, that, that's why this parable is important. It's helping us to see how is our life story meant to go in light of the end? How do we make sure that our lives won't be wasted away as the end comes near? And so that's why Jesus taught us this parable. It's really quite a simple parable, quite a simple story. 
But if you reflect on this, as we will be doing, it is so convicting. So let's have a look at this parable. In this parable, there are these servants. They're given a purpose. They're given a task. And this purpose is described here in terms of entrusting these servants with these talents. So have a look again, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who caught his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents of money, and to another one talent according to his ability. Now, what is this talent that the master gives? Well, you see, this is where the biblical language has in fact shaped the English language. And so we use talents all the time, don't we? When we talk about talent, we, we immediately think the natural abilities of someone, the gifts of someone, the talents in some certain area. So you hear people say or speak of oh, that talented singer or that talented guitarist or that talented mathematician or talented chef. But though it has come to mean that in our English language, it's not in fact what the Greek language means. The word talent just comes from a, a very similar word. It comes from the Greek. It's talenton, which really just means a measure of weight. It's a measure of weight. And in this context, it's a measure of money. It's a measure of money. It's a weight of money. So how much is a talent? Well, one talent, let's do a bit of maths here. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. One denarii is equal to one day's wage. Okay, so one talent is worth 6,000 days of work, many years of work. And so how much does that work out to be? So let's translate this to our modern currency. What's the minimum wage in Australia? Any ideas? It's actually pretty high, pretty high. The minimum wage is $17.70 an hour. So if you're getting less than that, you're under and something's wrong. And so... What, uh, a day's work would be about $135, okay, on minimum wage. And so to have one talent, how much does that work out to be? One talent would be about $807,000. One talent, that's a lot of money that this master is, is entrusting to one of his servants. I mean, $807,000, what can you buy with that? Tasmania, you buy a mansion. Melbourne, you buy a backyard. Here in Surrey Hills, the toilet block. But five talents, how much would that be? Five talents would be just over $4 million. And so if we understand those figures, five, two, and one, that's a lot of money that this master is entrusting to his servants, and they were given according to their abilities. And so what then was their purpose? Well, their purpose was to make it fruitful, to grow it, to invest it, to maximize what belonged to their master. The money's not theirs, you see. It was entrusted to them for that purpose, to maximize what belonged to their master. And so if we are to think of our life story now, you see, this, this parable is sort of like our life story in miniature. What then is our purpose? What is it that we have been entrusted with today by God? Well, in this parable, it's got to do with money. There's no way about that. It's, a, it's got to do with money. And so, in one sense, God has entrusted us with those same things. It has to at least include all our money. 
all that we own, all that we have, they are all God's and they have been entrusted to us. Entrusted to us, but for his purpose. They all belong to God for his purpose. And so my bank account, I've got a few bank accounts, a few banks that I'm banking with, my car, my house, even my coffee machine, they all belong to God, entrusted to me, but for his purpose. But you see, I think what this parable is also getting at, it's not just our finances that has been entrusted to us. It's not just our assets, not just our resources, but everything that we have and are has been entrusted from God to us for his purpose. And so that does include all our gifts, all our abilities, all our talents, all the opportunities he provides us in life. They have all been entrusted to us. All that we have, all that we are, all that we can do has been entrusted to us for God's purpose. And what is that? Well, obviously, it's not so that we can squander all that God has given us. It's a different way of thinking what we own and earn now, isn't it? It's not so that we can squander it, nor is it given to us for our own sake, for our own comfort, for our own indulgences. You see, the purpose of the talents in the broad sense is really for God because they belong to God in the first place. And so what's the purpose if we translate this to us? Well, it's really to maximize the cause of the gospel, not minimize it. It is really to advance the kingdom of God, not hinder it. Maximize God's stuff, not my stuff. And that's clear from the gospel because the way the gospel ends is Jesus sends out his disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. You see, maximize the cause of the gospel. Advance the kingdom of God. That is your purpose now as Christians. And so here these servants have that purpose. And if there's a purpose, then there must be also a responsibility. And so what do these servants do? Well, here we have three servants, but only two types of servants. Two of them did what they were meant to do. They did not laze around. They were not lazy. They went out at once. Immediately they put it to work and they doubled their talents. And so the, the first guy, he made another $4 million. The second guy, he made another $1.6 million. That's a lot of money. Verse 16, have a look. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But then we see this other servant who did nothing. Did not want to lose it, did not want to invest it, did not want to get told off for anything to do with it, dug a hole and put that $800,000 in the ground. That's a lot of money just sitting there in the ground. And so we see that, verse 18. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now what might that look like for us today? How might that translate? Well, I'm not sure how we can quantify this. But the image is clear, isn't it? It's meant to, we're meant to maximize God's stuff, not my stuff. But here are some examples of where I think people are trying to do this. Maximize the cause of the gospel. Advance the kingdom of God. I know of a man, a wonderful godly man. He's an elder at his church. Super busy man, four young boys. 
You know, I've got two boys. That's a lot of work. He's got four boys. Very busy man. He served as the chief of staff of, a, of the former premier of one of the states in Australia. Had to fly around a lot with the premier. His public responsibilities were huge doing that type of job. But Yvonne uh, one time got to speak to his wife and, wife and his wife told, told Yvonne, he's super busy, so much on, but yet he manages somehow to still be there at the session meeting where the elders meet. He manages to be there even though he's flying around all the time. He attends his weekly Bible study even though he's so busy. He even runs the men's ministry in the church. And how can you do that? Don't you just go that way and leave the, others, the other work to others? You, you see... When I was told about him, it seems like he's just been entrusted with much from the master, from God, and he's trying to maximize the course of the gospel in all that he's been entrusted with. He's trying to advance the kingdom of God and not hinder it with all that he's entrusted with. And so I suspect, just like the parable, he's been given five talents and he's living his life intentionally, working hard to gain another five or I know of another Christian man, a godly young Christian man, also a busy man, big responsibilities at work, but yet this man manages to find time to disciple and mentor younger men in their walk with the Lord. He's, a, he's very good at his job, so he's been headhunted, offered other jobs, a few other jobs, one of it double the pay. Now for most people, we'll jump on that on the first opportunity without even thinking about it, double the pay. Many of us are happy to just get CPI every year, double the pay. But yet this young Christian man, godly man, didn't just see the money, you know, saw through the money. This man trying to be this faithful servant of this parable, he's thinking how he might maximise the cause of the gospel. And that might mean not taking that job. He's thinking about how he might advance the kingdom of God and that might mean not taking that job. You see, that is wise, godly living. He's like the man given two talents and he's living his life, working hard. How might I gain another two more for the master? And of course, there are others I know, and I'm sure you do as well, who invest all their lives, all their energy, all their effort to their studies, to their work, to their career, even to their family, become super successful. But then when it comes to the things of God, to the God stuff, there's no drive at all, no motivation, no effort, no service. Well, people are like that, a bit like the last one who, who's just dug a hole and put that $800,000 in the ground and in the end will have nothing to show for. You see, this parable makes that clear. We're given a purpose and so there's a responsibility. Two here were responsible one wasn't. And so what happened in the end? Now remember, this is sort of like a, a short summary of our life story. What is to happen at the end of our life story? It's actually quite interesting seeing this parable, knowing what it tells us about the end. Now I'm not sure whether you thought about this, but do you understand how privileged we are to have the Bible and to be told of the end? What will happen at the end? To know the end before the end, that's a great privilege that we have from Scripture. Now, of course, sometimes we don't always want to know the end before the end. A bit like watching movies. Now, some of you may have heard me share this story before. 
Um, it's like watching movies. Sometimes we don't want to know the end just yet. And many of you would know Yvonne, my wife, my lovely wife, she has this very annoying habit. And it just frustrates me. And she still has that habit. She didn't grow out of it yet. I've asked Yvonne for permission to use this, so it's okay. But when she watches a movie, she used to always watch the last few minutes of the movie first. She'll forward to the end, watch the end of the DVD, and only then, after knowing the end, she'll be like a normal person and watch the movie from the beginning with me. But now when she, um, she does not get that chance to see the end of the movie or the DVD, what she does while we're watching a movie for the first time, she's on her phone instead of watching the TV, on Wikipedia, reading the plot and reading the ending instead of watching the TV. I find it so annoying. Because when I watch a movie, I don't want to know the ending. I want to feel the suspense. I want to go on this adventure, not knowing what will happen in the end. But, but she's here in my ear. Do you want to know? I know whether that person will die or not. Do you want to know? <laughs> Annoying wife. I rebuke you. No, how they say that. <laughs> but sometimes it is good to know the ending, isn't it? Just like in this parable, we are told of the ending. You know, with some movies, you want to know the ending. A bit like the movie Titanic, remember that? I realised that, that was done 20 years ago, 20 years ago, before some of you were born. But if you knew that at the end of the movie, the ship will sink anyway, you wouldn't bother, right? So why waste your time with a movie like that? But anyway, here in this parable, we can actually know the end before the end. It's like knowing the questions on the exam. It's like knowing the questions that will be asked in a job interview. We here get to see what will happen. And what will happen is that there will be a settling of accounts. The master will give his verdict on your life. God will give his verdict on your life. Now, for many Christians, we find that strange. I thought as a Christian, I'm saved already. I'm saved. Jesus died for me. There's no more judgment. But you see, that's not entirely true. Yes, there is no more condemnation. You are saved because of Jesus. You're not going to be sent to hell. That is true. But there is still judgment on how you have lived your life. There will be both rebuke and reward. And so what happened here? Well, firstly, there is commendation for the faithful servant. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained four more. And so this servant, for his life, throughout his life, gained another four million dollars. And what did the master say? Verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. It makes you think, doesn't it? The $4 million that this master gave his servant, that's only a few things. There is more than that to be responsible for. And then he goes on to say, come and share your master's happiness. That is your great reward in the end, you faithful servant. Now, what about the second servant? Well, though he's entrusted with less, his reward, do you notice, was exactly the same. You see, each were given according to their ability. He was just as faithful with the two as the other guy with the five. And so when you think about this, 
That should be of great comfort to us. God gives us according to our ability. And so John Calvin, that great reformer, brilliant mind, he was given that brilliant mind and he was faithful to that. He used it to maximize the cause of the gospel. Now, we might not have the mind of John Calvin, but we serve faithfully with what God has entrusted to us and will be just as faithful as John Calvin, you see. Each given according to his ability. Or Billy Graham, given that excellent gift of evangelism, and he was faithful to that. He is faithful to that. He used it to maximize the course of the gospel. Now, many of us are not given those sets of abilities and skills and talents as Billy Graham, but with what we've been entrusted with, if we serve faithfully using that, we'll be just as faithful as Billy Graham, each given according to his abilities. And so these two servants fulfilled their purposes faithfully. They were useful, they were fruitful, they were faithful. They maximized the cause of the gospel, not minimized it. They advanced the kingdom of God, not hindered it. Now, what about the other guy? The risk at verse 1. Well, here you see there's no commendation at all, but condemnation. Look at how he excused himself. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now think about his response. What did he do wrong there? I mean, wasn't he just playing safe? Wasn't he just a a risk-averse servant? What was wrong with his response? You see, there was a very fundamental thing that he got wrong. And that was, he forgot who he was. He was a me servant. And he forgot the master, who the master was. The master is the master. You see, he was putting himself in judgment over his master. And it's really, if you think about it, not too different to how many people today think about God, sit in judgment over God. I mean, have you heard people say this before? I've heard this, um, asking yourself, so what will you say when you meet God one day? And this was one of the responses I've heard. When I meet God, he should accept me as I am. And if he doesn't, then the problem is not with me, but it is with him, with God. Have you heard that type of response before? I mean, that is to seriously forget that God is God and we're not. Is to forget ourselves, is to forget God. To have the audacity to say such a thing is to presume upon the place and role and right of God. You see, we don't sit in judgment over God. He sits in judgment over us. And that was his problem. So how did this master respond? Well, the master replied, verse 26, you wicked, lazy servant. That's the master's judgment on, on him. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown or and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. And then what's the judgment? Verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we have to try to make sense of that judgment. The, the judgment of this master, the judgment of God is deadly serious. We've been hearing over the last few weeks. It's not like, oh, you, you, you didn't invest. I'll, I'll give you another chance. There's no chance when the end comes. That is it. There is a finality at the end on judgment day. And notice again the horror of the judgment on this servant. You see, this image is, is not just pain and agony, but of great despair and hopelessness, weeping, crying, but there's no help. Gnashing of teeth, but there's no reprieve, never ends. Prayers, but there will be no answer. That is the horror and terror of this judgment. And so in this parable, a parable of these servants, but really a short summary of our life story. In the end, God will give us his verdict on how we lived our lives. There will be either commendation or condemnation. And so let us think of how we are to make sense of this for us today. I mean, let's think about it. If God has entrusted you, if God has entrusted me with all my resources, all my investment, all my bank accounts, all that I have, all my wealth, all my abilities, all my opportunities, and God has entrusted all those same things to you, and they belong to God in the first place, remember that, then how must we respond? Well, we must be useful. We must be fruitful. We must be faithful, as faithful as possible. Because one day, you see, one day you will not stand before me. And I'm going to say, look, I told you so. You will not stand before me. One day you will stand before the God of heaven and earth. How does that make you feel? And so a question we all have to ask ourselves tonight is, how are we going today? How are we going at being like this faithful servant in this parable? The one who was promised and welcomed into the happiness of the master. The one who will enjoy the joy of heaven and have peace for eternity. How are we going at being like this faithful servant? And so the questions we must ask ourselves are, am I maximizing in all that God has entrusted me? Am I maximizing the cause of the gospel or am I minimizing it? Am I advancing the kingdom of God in all that God has entrusted with me or am I hindering it? And so let's think it through. How should I use my money, my finances, the stuff that God has entrusted to me? I mean, over my whole life, if you think about it, each one of us will have spent over millions of dollars over our whole lives. Because one day, God will ask us, God will ask you, what have you done with that incredible wealth I've given you throughout your life? And how will you answer that? Now, if you are not yet a Christian, you can, in a sense, disregard this. In a sense, God still owns everything you have, but no one here wants your money. But if you are a Christian, you call yourself a disciple of Jesus. You recognize the costly sacrifice of the Son of God for you so that you might have eternal life. 
so that you can, you can go to heaven? Then how would you answer that question? I mean, if we were to have a look at each other's bank statements, have a look at each other's investments, what will we see there? But forget us looking at each other's. What if God looked at your investments and your bank account? Do, do they reveal that you're heavily invested, generously invested in the kingdom of God? Will they show nothing of that at all? Or will they really reveal that you've invested in your own kingdom, not the kingdom of God? You see, putting money into investments of things that will cause the gospel to grow, they're the stuff that will last for eternity. Imagine rocking up to God one day. God asked that question, what have you done with that incredible wealth I've given you? Well, I bought that nice house. It's still there, pristine. It's still standing. I, I, I changed cars every three years. That was nice. I, I, I looked nice there. I went on those many trips and holidays. I enjoy myself. I mean, these are your blessings, aren't they, God? God will say, what do you have to show for them? You can't bring them with you. They are worthless here in heaven. Now, even for us personally, you see, this is not just a question for you. It's for us, if I and myself. We had to look at our giving recently and, and reassess. Are we generous enough? And so we push ourselves. Let's be more generous. Let's try to be more generous where we're giving. Where our money goes does show where our heart lies. And our bank statements say a big thing about us. Because one day we'll actually have to give account for them. Now there are many people who are generous and in our church as well. There are many wealthy families that I know. And these particularly two families that I know of, they understand that all that they have and own actually belongs to God. They know that and they speak of it that way. They know that they've been entrusted with it. And so they've often said to me, they've said to me on several occasions, if there are opportunities where we can contribute to the work of the gospel, to see it grow, just let us know. Just let us know. I've been involved in running a conference to raise up Christian teachers, and they've been generous in giving towards that. And they've been continually generous in giving towards raising up gospel ministers, ministry apprentices. They're investing wisely. But how would you answer that question from God? You see, in the end, it's between you and God, not between me and you at all. Got nothing to do with me. Between you and God, because it's God who will call you to account. But what about our stuff now? Let's ask a question about that. If we have a car, if we have a home, a house, stuff that God has entrusted us with, one day we'll have to give account to all of those things. How do you use your car? What do you do with your car? What do you do with that house that you have that is so big? What do you do? How will you answer that? Now, there are quite a number of faithful servants amongst us who have cars and just sees them as cars and not idols. It's dirty, it's messy, it gets dented, doesn't matter. But they use it to drive people around, to take people to church and home from church to drive them to growth groups. That is a good model of using the stuff God has entrusted to you for the good of others, to advance his kingdom. And there are quite a number of people amongst our church who are, who are wonderful with how they use their homes. Always showing hospitality. There's always someone around at some of these homes. Always being generous with what God has entrusted to them. And there's many families who have shown us great hospitality. One family let us stay at their house for one month. 
from this church when we were renovating a few years back. How have God, how will you answer God with what he has entrusted with you? Well, you see, you always want to be the one who serves and not just serve and, and take. The one who gives and not just consumes. But what about this question? How should I use the time God has entrusted to me? You see, I, I can't really understand this, but there are genuine Christians. Genuine Christians, people who call themselves disciples, but in fact quite flippant when it comes to the things of church. Have you heard of that, that acronym, STABO? This is the STABO generation, S-T-A-B-O, subject to a better offer generation. I'll commit to the stuff of church, but it's subject to a better offer. If there's a party on, I'm off to that. If there's some social, I'd rather go to that. They're my growth group. If there's a better offer, I am off. When it comes to the things of God, it suddenly takes second, third, fourth place. In the end, you have to give account to that, not to me, but to God. I mean, this is something we try to teach our kids from a young age. If there's a party, and it's just ridiculous with these kids and the birthday parties, there are so many of them, almost every fortnight there's a party, but we say to them, if it falls during church time, we are sorry, we are a Christian family, we go to church first, you will miss out. If they go to a movie, we'll take you another time. Um, just the other week, Yvonne got a message from a parent, a good friend, uh, uh, Esther's mother's, Esther's good friend's mother. Yep, that's right. Anyway, another party. She, she, was, she was asked, can we have the party on Sunday? Because we have that type of relationship now. Well, they, they will start, but we won't go until after church. You see, we're a Christian family. We teach our kids. We commit to the things of God first. You have to make that decision for yourself. You don't answer to me. You answer to God. And how would you answer God if he asked you? Or if, he, if God asks, what have you done with those opportunities at school, at university, in the workplace, amongst your friends and the colleagues that I've entrusted you with? What have you done with all your abilities? You are so gifted and talented. I've given you all these things. What have you done with those things? What have you done with the time that I've given you? The Sundays, the weeknights, the weekends, the holidays. What have you done? What have you done with your life? You see, we have to give account to God one day. How would you answer those questions? You see, if you're a Christian and you are a genuine Christian, you understand how deep the Father's love is for you because he sent his son who willingly went to the cross for you, that God will grant you, grant to you the great joy of heaven forever, then a genuine Christian just cannot live any other way. A genuine Christian will live with all their energy and effort to maximize the cause of the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God. See, on the day of judgment, there will be no hiding it will be clearly seen whether you've been a faithful, fruitful servant or whether you'll end up that day, in a sense, saying to God, I squandered all the wealth you've given me. I've wasted all the opportunities you've provided me. I've misused the gifts you've granted me and I've got nothing to show for. How do you then expect God to say to you, good and faithful servant? Share in your master's happiness. How can you expect that? Now, when I learned this parable as a younger Christian man, it was so convicting back then. 
and to come back to it again in these last few weeks as an older Christian man, it is just as convicting. How do I still use my life with all the abilities, all the opportunities that God has granted me, all the resources and wealth that God has given me to maximize the cause of the gospel? Remember, you don't answer to me, you answer to God. You have to think about what you will do with your life. But let me share with you Yvonne and my journey. Yvonne and myself, we had to consciously think about what life will we live for God when we were gripped by the gospel? What life will we choose to live for God? And so we've decided this type of life, to enter into full-time ministry. Now, many of you will know that in my previous life, I actually had a pretty good job. I wasn't a bum who was desperate and just went to Bible college because no one else would take me. I actually had a pretty good job. I did engineering, had a great job for the Department of Defence, worked with our Air Force on, on the Australian jet fighters. Awesome job. I mean, it's a boy's dream. High, latest technology, great stuff. can travel the world with that. And so often I'm asked when people find out, do I miss it? No, I say yes, I do miss it. I miss the lifestyle. It's so much simpler. So much simpler than being a gospel of the, of the, a minister of the gospel. But you see, Yvonne and myself, we have to think through this and we continue to think through this with all that God has given us and entrusted us with. How God has made us. What God has given us. What will we do with our life? We decided this. Now we do that not thinking that we are competent. We don't think we're competent at what we do at all. But we do it, we try hard at it. We do it not thinking that we are adequate. We never think we're adequate. We depend on the mercy of God. We do it not thinking that we do things well. But we try hard. I mean, God, you've entrusted us with this. I'm going to give it my best. might not be great, but we'll try our best. We do it not actually thinking that we do everything according to what is best. But we try hard, Lord. We try hard. And so we've decided with all that God has entrusted us, this is the path we will lead. It's only been six years. It's been tough going, or less than six years. But there are moments, in fact, even this past week, it would be so much easier to just go back to engineering. So much easier. But why plot this path? Why persevere? You see, this parable is so helpful. We've been told the end. We've been told the end. Now, we don't know how well we will invest our lives as we pursue this path. We don't know how much fruit we'll produce for the kingdom of God. We have no idea. But we both want to be those first two servants to hopefully one day meet our Lord and hope that with all our feeble and weak and trying efforts in our life, which is really measly in response to what the Son of God did for us, but hoping that our feeble and weak efforts would in God's kindness produce some fruit for him, that we can say to God, look, we've done this much for you, that our work amongst you now will be fruitful. And we hope, with all hopes, that we will hear those the sweet, those comforting, those joyous words from our Lord. Good and faithful servant, come and share in my happiness. 
You see, when that verdict is given, that will become our verdict for all eternity. For all eternity, that will remain God's verdict upon us. And, and then we will know we have not wasted our life away. And so here in this parable, it's hopefully your story as well. What will your story be like? I mean, what's the verdict of God that you will carry into eternity? Well, my hope is that it will be the same as this parable, the first two servants, that you too will be the good and faithful servant declared by God that you would come and share in his happiness. Let's pray.